Extract from What the Curlew Said, Nostos Continued, by John Moriarty. What an unearthly aria that call was. Sometimes I would think it isn't a call at all. But if it isn't, what is it? Is it a spontaneity of eternity that has somehow come through into time? Hearing his voice, a god who had made the curlew would almost instantly want to remake himself as the thing he had made. Universes he couldn't call into being with a human voice, he could call into being with the voice of a curlew. My name is Michelle Carey and I'm an environmental researcher from Galway. Growing up on Ireland's Atlantic coast, I was lucky to experience all the weather and wildlife that the western seaboard has to offer. But until recently, I had taken for granted the sights and sounds of our natural world, presuming that they would always be there and that all was well. That all changed in 2020 when I had landed my first job in nature conservation working to protect some of Ireland's last remaining pairs of breeding curlew. I was shocked and saddened to learn that Ireland's population of breeding curlew had dropped from around 5,000 pairs in 1990 to just under 150 pairs in just 30 years. On one sunny day that summer, when I first saw a curlew fly over my head and whistle the bubbling notes of its distinctive call, It ignited my love for the bird, and it made me wonder, how could we let such a special bird reach the verge of extinction? The curlew has been tightly woven into our songs, stories, poems and place names. But as the bird has disappeared from our landscapes, so has our connection with it. I wanted to learn more about our intertwined history with the curlew, because I wondered if reconnecting people with the curlew might be at the heart of how we could save them. The curlew, or an in Irish, is defined as a wader. This means the bird likes to wade through shallow water or soft ground and probe the earth with their long, sensitive bills picking out insects, mollusks and worms to eat. The curlew is a ground-nesting bird. They make small, discreet nests in heather or long grass. And, in line with their wary nature, their nests are famously difficult to find. In Ireland, you can classify the curlew that we see into two categories. There's the curlew that you often hear and see in wintertime on our beaches. Most of these are actually seasonal visitors to these shores, curly that migrate here every year seeking our mild winters. The second category is our native breeding curly. They are part of Ireland's native wildlife and have lived alongside us on this island for thousands of years. Every spring, curly move inland to their breeding grounds, away from the coasts, to Ireland's bogs, meadows and rough pastures, where they reunite with their partners. Curlew are extremely sight-faithful, 
which means that they come back to the same patch of land every year to seek out a safe place where they can breed and raise their chicks. But in recent decades, Ireland's landscape has changed so fast that our curlew can't keep up. And today they are clinging on in just a few pockets across the country. You see it? So something big just landed very, very close to the edge of the lake. I've travelled to the shores of Loch Carib to speak with Dr Katrina Carlin, who lives near one of Ireland's last remaining strongholds for curly. So we have definite calls from a male a week ago, and then that's just, that's an ordinary call, that's not a mating call, so that's, that's a good sign. Katrina is an ecologist and lecturer with a particular love for and understanding of the curly. So it's one of our biggest wetland birds. They're a brownish colour, but they've got this lovely kind of mottling on them. The biggest feature, that's the, the sort of standout feature, as well as the long legs, is its down-curved beak. And the down-curved bill or beak is really, really slender. And it's such a cool feature from a zoological perspective because they spend most of the time bent over, dipping it down into the wetlands to try and get insects to eat. And that's where I think we have this idea of the kind of the rounded kind of curve of the back of the body, as well as the the sort of very slender kind of shape of the, the bill being also, again, a curved shape. It requires a lot of different types of spaces, doesn't it? It's like it needs this area for feeding, it needs this area for nesting, it needs, like, you know, it likes to be by the water, but then it likes to have some of these fields nearby. So, you know, an area that's like here in the west of Ireland, like, got a lot of diversity in a small space and it hasn't been turned into, a, you know, a monoculture yet. It's like, that's, I guess, why it's still maybe holding out in, in places like this. We know for a couple of years there's definitely been a male calling down here at this end of the lake, but they're out on one of the little islands, so there's a certain level of protection there. They've got wet grass and they've got marsh, they've got reed beds, and all of those combinations together, it's actually providing them with food for the chicks but also places of shelter and protection where they can kind of call out and show off to each other and and attract a mate but then also where it's a safe place to rear the chicks and then for for those birds to go on and and grow up and be healthy adults in the long run. Yeah it's interesting to think about how they're so sight faithful so maybe you know the male that you hear calling year on year hopefully their chicks will continue on and be in that same space. And you'll almost have this connection to like a family and generations of curly, which is really nice to think about. Robins typically live for about two years and song thrushes for three years. But the native Irish curlew has been known to live for up to 30 years. The family of curlew that live on Loch Carib, close to Katrina's home, have probably been coming there for decades. Their call is very, very plaintive. What you hear is this magical, musical call that builds. So it's it's quite delicate and fluting, but it sort of builds on itself and keeps building. 
and it gets louder and louder and louder. If you can imagine sort of the stories that people would have told themselves about hearing that call, and I think because it sounds like a cry, people, their, their hearts instinctively leap for it because it evokes such emotions in, in us. He reproves the curlew by W.B. Yeats. Oh, curlew, cry no more in the air or only to the water in the west because your crying brings to my mind passion-dimmed eyes and long, heavy hair that was shaken out over my breast. There is enough evil in the crying of the wind. I think people are very much connected to the sound of the curlew, but they possibly don't make the connection with what curlews need to survive. Today, Ireland's native curlew population has been red-listed. This means that they are in danger of dying out on this island. Loss of bogs, meadows and rough grassland is the main reason for the curlew's decline. After decades of habitat loss and population decline here in Ireland, the curlew's survival is on a knife edge. One of the main organisations charged with protecting the curlew and trying to grow their numbers in Ireland is the National Parks and Wildlife Service. Each year, they run the Curlew Conservation Programme, monitoring and protecting breeding curlew pairs across the country. I travelled to the Slievochty Hills on the border of Galway and Clare to meet Pierce O'Gibbu. Pierce is one of many conservation officers working with the Curlew Conservation Programme across the country. What's the geographical area for the Slievochty's conservation programme? So we've been working in kind of on the Galway Clare border is where we'd be really. Uh, but it's a huge area and uh, we, re- we rely a lot on you know, the locals sending us in their sightings and then we tend to work off that where we'd go to where there were reports of curlew calls or mm. sightings of them and uh, we'd kind of work from there. So almost all of our sightings from last year were from landowners, farmers or, or just people out for walks sometimes. So kind of working through the people like that, we get our contacts and then we get our, our sightings through them. When you mention to people that you are surveying for curlew, do you find that they know what you're talking about? What's their general reaction? I would say that the farmers usually know um, because they, like, they would have heard it growing up just from being out in the hills and they would have heard it a lot more uh, when they were younger. Uh, you know, even when you hear them talking about it and hearing it in the hills and everything, they you get a real feel of nostalgia sometimes and uh, just a real love for the bird. Mm. Pierce's job is to survey the landscape, find curlew and try to improve their chances of successfully raising chicks over the spring and summer months. If and when you do find a nest, what's the next step then? Um, well, the main thing would be to try and protect the nest from predators so a, a very effective technique that they have is to just uh, push an electric fence around the um, around the nest 
and because uh, that would keep the foxes out and, and they would be kind of the main predator of uh, curlew nests and curlew themselves sometimes too. Yeah, you were saying that before that they're quite clever. Like, Could you talk a bit about those examples? Uh... Um, yeah, so one of our other sites, the first sign that there were chicks in the area, the, the, the kind of the, the behaviour of the curlew uh, changed. So instead of them flying up into the air and you know landing somewhere else, uh, they would land on little hills where they were very, very easily seen by us, the adult birds, and they would just stand there calling away. And, uh, you know, we, we would be thinking maybe sometimes that the chick was with them there and we'd be watching them for ages and uh, we wouldn't see anything. And it was later on in the season, maybe a week or two later, that we, we started seeing the chicks and we noticed that the curlew was actually, it would leave the chick and it would fly away, stand on the hill and start calling where, we, where it would catch our attention and then distract us from the chick that would be you know, run into safety somewhere else. Mm, it's very smart. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is Pierce's second year working in the area. Last year in the Schlievochtys, he followed three breeding pairs of curlew. But at the end of the season, there was just one chick left on the ground. You know, we were always a bit nervous, you know, that it wouldn't make it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was over four weeks on the ground where we were watching it every day and then sometimes you would have you know lovely days perfect surveying conditions and you just wouldn't see it at all and you couldn't help but think the worst the day it flew away we, we were over the moon <laughs> oh my god it's like watching a movie where you're just like biting your nails and just oh, I don't know <laughs> an emotional roller coaster <laughs> I asked Pierce if I could keep in touch with him for the curly breeding season which runs from March to July 2022 with the curlew numbers so low, I wanted to see firsthand the challenges and issues facing the curlew and to find out whether any new chicks would be born and reared in the Schlievochtys. Well, now that we know where they were breeding last year, uh, I, I want to survey those sites from the very start so that I know when they return and hopefully they will return. So uh, at this stage, it's still very early in the season and the weather hasn't been great. Uh, so it's actually been quite difficult to do a lot of the field work. You know, we have been out surveying, but uh, unsuccessfully so far, we haven't seen any curlew yet. A bird that is constant in our lives is something that we depend on to show us that it's okay, the world's turning as it should. This is author Mary Caldwell. In 2016, Mary walked 500 miles across Ireland, Wales and England, visiting rural communities where curlew were once abundant. I walked because I wanted to talk to people, anybody who was involved with curlews, conservationists, scientists, artists, poets, farmers, anybody. In her book, Curly Moon, she examines the role the bird played in the lives of recent generations and in the lives of our ancestors. They're incredibly sight-faithful. They come back to the same place all the time and pretty much at the same time of year. So they were like this great metronome of the universe, you know. It was sort of counting the seasons for us. You know, when the bird appeared in the skies, you just knew that spring had arrived. And I think the regularity of, of the curlew, combined with its call, anchored itself in farmers' hearts, really. I was fascinated to learn from Mary Cowell that the curlew features in old Irish stories about some of our most celebrated religious figures. The St. Patrick connection 
came out of visiting Slemish Mountain, which is in the north of Ireland. Um, but I think actually it's a, a legend which relates to quite a few Irish mountains, um, where St. Patrick, when he was a shepherd and, an, and, and a slave, would pray on the mountain to be freed, and he was accompanied by the sound of the curlew. And, and so curlews praying on a mountain, weaving spirituality in the call of this bird, was a rather beautiful image. All these different sorts of legends have the same feel about them, that nature and Christian belief are somehow very interwoven, and that a bird like the curlew has the voice of God in it, if you like. Our Lord was carrying holy books under his arm. They fell and the tide washed them out to sea. The curlew was on the sea and when she saw them she brought them back in her beak. Then the apostle asked our Lord what favour would he give the bird. Our Lord said that the favour which he would give her would be that no boy or girl or any human being would ever find a curlew's nest. I was compelled to find out if there were more old Irish stories featuring the curlew. It was then that I discovered the school's collection, a national archive of folklore from the 1930s. I was amazed to discover that there are over 1,200 entries for curlew, or on Crutuck, in this collection. I spoke to archivist Johnny Dillon of the National Folklore Collection. I think nowadays it's more important than ever that we, that we hang on to and reinvigorate and re-enliven a sense of our traditional cultural inheritance, basically, in, in an age when it so often seems to be kind of washing away on, on so many levels and so many registers. This material is useful to help us navigate the present. It's not just to kind of look back and romanticise the past. As part of the school's collection from the 1930s, Irish school children were also asked to list the most common birds in their area. It's striking how often the curlew was noted as one of the most common birds right across the country. The birds which are most common in this district are the crow, the curlew, the blackbird, the thrush, the wild goose and the seagull. The curlew goes around whistling when there is a sign of rain. In the context of weather lore, I suppose, one of the interesting expressions that you see or people in former generations or forebears around the country looking to the natural environment and then interpreting the natural environment and changes in the natural environment. So looking to the appearance of the sun, the appearance of the moon, the appearance of clouds, mountains, you know, looking to the natural landscape around you, then obviously looking to the appearances and behaviours of animals, right? What are the sheep doing? What are the cattle doing? What are the birds doing? So people are constantly kind of looking out and reading the natural landscape, reading nature in very practical ways, like uh, in the sense of, is there a storm coming? Is it going to rain? When we hear the whistle of the curlew and the loud cry of the bog lark, we know when a storm is approaching. There's a way of relating to nature in the natural world that is just kind of lost to us, basically. And once that information is lost to us, it's like we don't need to notice its absence anymore. We don't know that it's gone from the room. We don't know that these kind of that these riches have have left us because how would we, right? It's kind of we don't see the glaring hole that's left behind. They just quietly kind of slip away, and so the world becomes a kind of poorer place. When I was studying environmental science, I remember reading about the term generational amnesia. This means, as generations pass, humanity forgets nature as it once was. 
Thinking of this, I went back to Conservation Officer Pierce O'Gibbon in the Schlievochty Hills on a sunny day in April, hoping for good news about this year's curlew parents. Today is the closest I've been to a curlew this year. When I parked the car there, it was literally just right up on the hill there, just in between those kind of two low trees there. And it just started calling immediately while I was there. At the moment, we have three different sites with uh, at least one pair of curlew in each. And uh, they came back towards the end of March. We had two weeks of really nice weather. And uh, just one after the other, they started coming back. Like I'd do a survey on one site one day, they'd be back after the next site the next day. It was, it was all at the same time. Uh, it's just, it's such a lovely feeling, you know. You, you feel so happy just to know that they're still there and they're probably still the same birds that you were looking at last year, you know. Last week then, um, at one of our sites, I saw them putting on mating displays. So the male was following the female around and uh, flapping his wings and pecking at her tail, which are all signs that they're they're going to mate. And uh, since then, their behaviour has kind of changed a bit where they're a bit quieter. Um, and they're definitely still there, so my hopes are that they're nesting at the moment. Today in Ireland, it's people like Pierce who are leading the struggle to support the last remaining pairs of breeding curlew. For Pierce, his connection with the curlew goes back to when he was a child and to a poem that his mother used to recite to him. Bansleva Queen Mikla, Parik Macpirish. Brona de Mosche, Ruv Mokrisha, Dua de Mora, Gustav Maklitze. Gankarids gankumponach fayil mohishe achanleon chamlaris maquine. A garlit slave of umtranuna, the loud nahenli lumgabronach, the loud and lace queen sukrutach glorach, a kfashnish hum gudeg mustorach. So it's about a woman who's lamenting the loss of her son. And in the second verse, then she talks about how when she's walking the hills, that she feels like the birds are talking to her and that she hears the the sweet call of the snipe and, and the, the, the noisy call of the curlew telling her that, that her son has died. That poem was written over 100 years ago, back in a time when the curlew were every bit as common in Ireland as the rain. The curlew was a physical connection between people's ordinary lives and the lives of the extraordinary natural world that they lived in. They told stories about the curlew and St. Patrick around the fireside at night. The curlew even inspired place names right across the four provinces, from on Crag Crutoc in Donegal to on Crutoc Cass in Tipperary. The bird's abundance inspired not only folklore, poetry and place names, but also music. But I hear the sweet song of the sky and I list to the sad way. In the second half of the 20th century, as Irish people emigrated in large numbers, their memories of home were filled with the sights and sounds of curlew. The curlew became a symbol of home and nostalgia for an Ireland that had been left behind. Perhaps one of the best examples of this was a famous TV ad from the 1980s. Feel the good taste of heart in your throat. You won't hear the 
hear a voice saying, Soft day, thank God. You won't see the likes of a Sally O'Brien. The well-known Sally O'Brien ads of the 1980s feature an Irish man working abroad in a desert landscape. He's longing for the rain and the greenness, the call of the curlew, a night in the pub with friends, and maybe a smile from Sally O'Brien. It's striking that even in the 1980s and 1990s, the curlew was such a powerful symbol of home. As Ireland's landscape changed in the 1980s and 1990s, Even for people in Ireland, the curlew started to become a symbol of an Ireland of the past. An Ireland that was slipping away. This was beautifully described by Seamus Heaney in a poetic introduction to a conservation plan for Loch Peg, a lake on the border of Derry and Antrim, near where he grew up. In the following pages... Those names are to be found on a map showing local wildlife habitats. But for me, and for anyone of my generation brought up in the Loch Beg area, they belong first and foremost in memory and imagination. They evoke a dreamland that was once the real land, a shore at evening, quiet water, wind in the grass, the calls of birds, maybe a man or woman out in the back field just standing, looking, counting cattle listening. The Lockbeg management plan intends to make that country of the mind a reality once again. It wants to bring back a landscape where the peewit and the curlew and the whirring snipe are as common as they used to be on those 1940s evenings when I'd go with my father to check on our cattle on the strand. Ireland's landscape would have been very different in the 1940s, when Seamus Heaney was growing up. The Irish sky must have been alive in spring and summer with the song of the curlew, for it to become so embedded in people's minds and hearts. The Ireland of today is a very different landscape for the curlew. It wasn't until we realised in what a dire situation the curlew was that people actually started thinking we need to start helping the sport. It was always just taken that uh, the curlew was there, but nobody actually realised what was happening with the species. Barry O'Donoghue has been spearheading the Curlew Conservation Programme for the National Parks and Wildlife Service since the programme began in 2017. Having grown up in an area of County Kerry once filled with curlew, he has seen firsthand how the curlew population has declined through the loss of habitats right across the areas that curlew once called home. It follows from years and decades of change in the landscape and change in land use, um, the loss of that high nature value farming. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, lovely wet grasslands uh, being lost. We've seen intensification of agriculture. We've seen the loss of uh, our raised bogs and midlands. We've seen areas planted with forestry, uh, which the curlew can't use, obviously. We've seen encroachment of uh, wind farming. Um, so the landscape has been depleted uh, from a curlew's perspective and from other ground nesting birds' perspectives as well, hen harrier as well, notable uh, species which has suffered uh, declines. Um, so it really sprung up upon us as an Irish people as to what has happened and now I would love to have had these conversations 20 or 30 years ago. That's when the conservation effort should have started really. And if we could have saved habitat that we had back then, 
and we, if we still had that now we would be in a hundred times better position yeah it's um we need to make changes if we want to be able to you know have that hope and uh that's it and sometimes people see the conservation person they say well yeah they're looking after the curlew or they're looking after the the corn crake or the red grouse so that's their job they'll they'll sort that out but it's often a wider societal issue and it's how we look at the landscape how we use the landscape uh going back to how we you know even produce our food what food we eat everything like that we can all make a difference we i know that sounds fairly lofty kind of notions but it all comes back to that like there's a reason why this landscape has changed there's a reason why small farmers have been lost off this landscape there's there's a reason why they're no longer here to look after the curlew there's a reason why this landscape has been planted there's a reason why the place is being developed for wind turbines etc you know it's all coming back to society it's all coming back to us as people it's it and it's not just down to one small program or one small group of people they're trying their hardest um but they alone can't solve everything it needs to be a wider community effort and i think that's a positive thing about the curlew that everybody wants to see the curlew safeguarded you know and everybody is happy to do their part you know and the local community here in the stacks mountains has been absolutely phenomenal and we've found that across the landscape whether it be in loch Ree or in loch Corrib or up in uh, donegal or in mayo everybody is so supportive and willing to help out whether that be the farmers or whether that be the local schools or anybody at all you know so that's really positive When working in nature conservation, you might strive to remain objective. But anyone who comes into contact with the curlew must be deeply saddened by the loss of such a beautiful bird. Our previous generations, you know, the curlew would have always kept us company, like, you know, it was always there for us. Um, If you were feeling down, I guess, or, you know, I'd hear this beautiful, beautiful call and you're in touch with nature. Um, But now to have that part of our island gone just it will leave such a big hole in our hearts there's a lot of forestry around this area isn't there there is yeah and and that'd be a problem for the curlew as well because a lot of the habitat that was there before the plantations would have been potential breeding grounds for the bird I caught up with Curly Conservation Officer Pierce O'Gibbon in the Slievochty Mountains again in May and he filled me in on a dramatic close call that had happened earlier that day. Yeah, so I was uh, sitting here earlier just looking through the scope pretty much exactly where we are now and uh, just looking across at where those trees are. I was just scanning for Curlew and uh, the first thing I saw was a red fox (laughs) Uh, just walking through, sniffing away in the ground and uh, the next thing, the curlew started coming in. And three of them were coming. They came in together and they were trying to distract the fox. And uh, as far as I could see, the fox didn't get anything. But it was a very tense uh, couple of minutes for me. <laughs> because we're, we're too far away to, you know, to even make a bit of noise to try and get the fox away. But uh, yeah, so it was really up to the curlew there to protect themselves. And it seems like they did. So there, there was a sudden change of behaviour. Um, you know, for a while we were always seeing the male and female. Uh, but then all of a sudden they got very quiet. And now when we see the birds, it's usually, I would say 90% of the time, it's the male that we see. Oh, wow. Oh, amazing. 
I've got them in the binoculars here. Oh, amazing. So you can hear he, he's a little bit agitated there. And it wouldn't be us disturbing him now because we're, we're a good distance away from, from both of the, the nesting sites. But uh, he might have seen just a crow maybe and close to him there. God, it's so great to see them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so every time we hear a curlew, we go quiet. <laughs> They're still such a wary bird, generally. They are, yeah. like, They just yeah. keep their distance. Once they see you, they're kind of gone, really. Yeah. Like. There's a saying in Irish um, that if, if it's very hard to sneak up on somebody, uh, you say which means much like the Carlyo it's hard to sneak up on him oh no way <laughs> yeah. that's great Pierce told me he was hopeful that eggs would hatch in the Slievochtys in the next few weeks a few weeks later in June I texted Pierce to ask him for updates and he sent me back a voice message hi Michelle how are you doing um, the past week has been very very quiet it's been very, very windy down here. But we'll say that I'm 90% sure that there is a chick, at least one, on the ground. I had the the pair in the scope, the male and the female, with the male kind of standing by, not feeding, but just kind of looking around and the female feeding away. And there was a split second. I was good distance away now, so I couldn't be sure. But there was a second there where uh, I saw something very small moving through the vegetation. And judging by the behaviour as well, it's exactly the same behaviour we saw last year when they had chicks. With so few breeding curlew left, every chick that makes it is a triumph and every loss is a tragedy. Predators sometimes get blamed for the decline of the curlew. But ultimately, it is the loss of the curlew's habitat that has created an unbalanced ecosystem in which predators have the advantage. When the world of the curlew collides with our own modern world, losses are even more frequent. The burning of scrub is sadly common on Irish hills and peatlands each summer. And as ecologist Katrina Carlin, who lives near Loch Carrab, discovered one recent summer, these fires can be devastating for the curlew. I was walking up a little hedgerow, beautiful little lane, and I could hear curlew calling and I could hear lapwing calling and it was only until that I got down and, and the wind was coming towards me that then I could both see the flames and smell the smoke I could hear lapwing and curlew calling and calling and calling and calling and the only thing that I can think of is that they were calling to try and find their nest, but they didn't find their nest and their nests were gone. Hearing that was desolating, devastating and heartbreaking. Incessant over the space of a day and just thinking what those animals were going through. You know, we talk about not anthropomorphising animals, but at the same time, they have lives that are meaningful to them and their lives were absolutely 
destroyed in that instant. After a week of unseasonably cold and wet weather in June, I was worried about how the curly chicks in the Slivokdys might be doing. So I went back to meet conservation officer Pierce O'Gibbon. So the first site that we visited you at yes. has gone very quiet. Yeah, so I, I yeah. literally spent all day there today and so didn't hear anything and I didn't see anything. But uh, the farmer let me know that a few days ago uh, he had seen them. So it could be just that they're quiet. You know, when they have chicks on the ground, they can be very quiet. And because we had such a bad week of weather, they're quieter during bad weather anyway. It's just uh, kind of a hard stage we're at here because it's just it's very difficult to know what's going on. And you can't help but kind of think the worst. <laughs> yeah. Like I know they hatched successfully and that there were birds on the ground and I'm hoping that there, there still are. They'd be two weeks old, two and a half weeks old at this stage. Um, so they would be getting a bit stronger. But they're still at this age. They're 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 very small and they're very vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping for the best, uh, but I can't help but feel a bit doubtful as well. Yeah, feels a bit bleak, does it? Like today? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when it's going well, it's great. It's great work. And then when you have like yeah. This doubt over you or the, when, when something doesn't work out, it's just, it's very sad. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. You have a way of delivering bad news, Pierce, with a smile. I know, yeah. You're always that is, like... <laughs> <laughs> that's my coping mechanism, I suppose. <laughs> it's a good one, it's a good one. It was actually strange because there was a night there that was so bad, the weather, and I was lying in bed a week ago and I was like, Got the poor curly chicks. It just, uh, I, know, I yeah. was like, what? how are they going to survive this? It's just, you forget that everything else is out in the elements while, when you're tucked up in bed. Yeah. And they're that small as well. Yeah. You think, like, well, what are the chances that they're, well, you know, they, they do survive, but mm. some of them don't as well. Mm. My initial hope that four or five chicks might fledge across the sleeve octis this summer had evaporated. Now, I was desperately hoping that even just one chick might make it. That's one now. Oh yeah, you see him just there. Well, he's landed now, so it's very hard to see, but kind of where that telephone pole is, if you just went straight up onto the kind of hill behind the road, we'll say. But yeah, we heard a bit of an, an alarm call there, which is a good sign, I will say, even though it, it is a sign that there is something bothering them, but... Mm. Because if they were, if they had lost their chicks, they would likely move to another area. They, they wouldn't really, because they only come here to breed. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to finish off our chat <laughs> for the day. Curly were once an everyday symbol of the Irish countryside, and in the mid twentieth century, they became a nostalgic symbol of home for those who had left Ireland behind. But Curlew are no longer a regular sight in rural Ireland and it's unlikely they will be a symbol of home for the Irish diaspora today. So with their numbers having fallen dramatically and Ireland now facing a biodiversity crisis, I wondered if the Curlew might represent something different to a new generation. 
There was a time in these lands Bathed in your tones But you can barely be heard anymore Now you fly your own paths And you seek your old homes But they can barely be seen anymore And you can barely be seen anymore An Ode to the Irish Curlew, a song by the Galway-based musician Cuivine, is an example of how the Curlew's plight is inspiring artists today to sound the alarm of extinction. Like, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like it's you know it's so slender and um, elegant, and it's it's really a perfect bird to be put into glass. Another artist representing the Curlew in this way is the Dublin sculptor Katie Spears who uses delicate glass sculptures of curlew to display their stunning shape, but also to mirror their population's fragility. You know, it is, it is, it's a fragile sort of glass technique. Um, when you, ha- you have spindly pieces of glass, and it's, it kind of makes people a bit nervous <laughs> to buy the pieces in case they break them. I, I personally would be scared <laughs> if I was to buy some, mm. someone's... Uh, but it, it, the thing, that's the, the beauty of it as well, that's so attractive about it, is that it's so fragile. And, you know, you might break it. And um, it's a little bit like the curlew as well. Like That's why... Part of the reason why it's so attractive is it's it's such an unusual bird and... Um, it, it doesn't really look like it's from this world. You're from Dublin, you live in Dublin. Yeah. You don't see curlew every day. Like, does it, do you think it will, what would make a difference to your life as, you know, as a person and as an artist um, if the curlew was all of a sudden not in Ireland? I think it's quite symbolic to a lot of things that are happening in Ireland at the moment and I don't think it's a fight that should be lost because if you if you let the curlew die then you know sure why why don't you know the, the, there'll be the, I think there's there's lots of similar things to the curlew the curlew's kind of like the young people of Ireland I think in a way because you know no one I know uh, can live you know in the area that they were brought up in and you know there's nothing wrong with moving out and you know finding somewhere new but uh, it seems like we keep pushing animals and, you know, different species out as well. And um, there's not really much consideration for the curlew. And if you lose the people, if you lose the animals, if you lose the culture, there should be an effort to to save, to save different species, and you know, to to save our culture, and their music and our songs and our poems. Fagley is a singer and musician from Kerry. During lockdown, she collaborated remotely with a group of Irish and Welsh artists and musicians to create new works inspired by the curlew for a project called Celtic Neighbours. Maeve wrote an original song for the project. It's called Glechen Chorluin, which means the curlew's call. And it's about calling the curlew back with its own call. Um, it was the is the chorus, and it's it's all the friends of the curlew. It's the curlews and the other birds, and the the mountains and the sea itself, and the the natural kind of friends of the curlew trying to call it back. 
So I'll just read the, the poem out. A dearest friend of the sea, where are you going from us? The heather is growing cold as your nest it lonely rests and the music of your echo we shall hear forever. The second verse is the cliff top is shedding tears for you and the man who lays in the sea is dreaming of your return. And as the sun rises, hear our call. You know, sometimes you hear about people going to the next, the next, they pass away and they go to the next life, but they get called back and then they actually come back to life. They die for maybe a minute or an hour or whatever, but they actually come back to life and they've, they have the stories where they were told that it was it was not their time or something like that. It's it kind of had that kind of half in, in my head, kind of. But trying to call it back from, who knows, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> you know. Learning about Quivine, Katie and Maeve's art made me realise that today's artists see the curlew as a symbol of extinction. But also that if we could protect the curlew and restore their habitats, if we could call the curlew back to Ireland, they could become a symbol of what is possible. A symbol of hope for finding our way out of this biodiversity crisis and for the recovery of nature. In early September, I went back for a final meeting with Pierce O'Gibbon in the Slevoctis. It was the end of the curlew's breeding season, and I wanted to know if there was any chance that the curlew chicks had survived and fledged their nests at any of the sites. The curlew's secretive nature has helped them to survive for so long but it also makes it difficult to monitor them. The last time I met you, I knew there were chicks on the ground not too long before that, but I hadn't seen them in a good while. Mm. And the weather had been, it had been windy and rainy, and the curly were often quieter in that kind of weather anyway. So I was staying, hopefully, you know, thinking that they were just laying low for a while. But as the weather improved, then we continued to survey the sites and we just weren't seeing the, the chicks and even the adults seemed to have left the area. And it was, you know, a sure sign that, that we'd lost the chicks at those two sites, at our, at our Galway and at our Clara site. Like, it's very difficult to say what caused them to fail, um, because there are so many things against them, you know, between habitat loss and increasing predators and maybe even a bad year weather-wise. It's hard to pin it down to just one thing, and it's probably a combination of a lot of different factors. Yeah. And, I mean, how did you feel then after you realised that they had left and that all the curly were gone for this year? Well, obviously, <laughs> I was very sad, you know, to, to think that they were just gone like that. And we were watching the same ones for two years and they were the same pairs. Even, like, some of them, if there was a flock of them, you'd nearly pick out your own curly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you re like, I was feeling really attached to them and just knowing that, they, that things didn't work out for them. Uh, you know, it's very, very sad and kind of a, a, an awful ending to to the season. But, but, but like I said, hopefully, 
that they did manage in, in, in some of our sites and maybe there are Carlyo out there that we haven't even come across yet that are yeah. that are doing all right. I was feeling down after my last meeting with Pierce. We hoped that maybe one chick may have fledged in the Slivakjis, but we couldn't be sure. At a time like this, it's hard to find hope and hard to see a future for the curlew in Ireland. So I went looking for hope elsewhere and found some inspiration on the far side of the world. So we're facing a situation in which our national symbol, the bird which we take our name from as, as people, this very important bird was at risk of extinction. And um, we, as a group of people, decided that wasn't good enough and we, and we needed to do something about it. This is Paul Ward from New Zealand. He's part of the Capital Kiwi Project that has been restoring the country's native kiwi bird to the hills outside the city of Wellington. The great news about North Island brown kiwi is that community-owned conservation efforts have largely been responsible for reversing that decline and, you know, where the work has been done, those kiwi populations are recovering. The kiwi is deeply rooted in New Zealand's culture and identity, as the curlew once was in Ireland. But when stoats and ferrets were brought to New Zealand in the 1870s, in a bid to control the population of introduced rabbits, these species started to prey on kiwi chicks. By the 1990s, everything had changed. Once they figured out what was happening to kiwi, which was that the chicks were getting smashed by stoats, they knew what the recipe was to reverse that, which was either reverse the predation threats on those chicks or or remove the uh, chick from the wild uh, until it was at a point where it could defend itself and then then return it to that wild environment. There's been a really incredible response in New Zealand once we became aware that the kiwi were declining. So really people said that we're going to take this on ourselves and protect the kiwi in our own backyard. This is Michelle Impey. She's the executive director of Save the Kiwi, a national conservation organisation that works with community groups from across the country to protect the country's five species of native kiwi birds. So as of 30 years ago, we really didn't have a community conservation movement to protect kiwi yet. So in that time, since we answered those critical questions to understand the threats of kiwi, that started what is now an incredible movement where we have hundreds and hundreds of organized groups that um, usually it starts with one landowner goes you should join me neighbor and it grows that way so you get this collective of landowners in the same area that are working to protect the local kiwi and connected to those hundreds of groups are thousands of volunteers so it's this incredible movement in New Zealand for people to do the work to protect and not just kiwi other other threatened species that are in their backyard. The population of New Zealand's North Island brown kiwi was recently reclassified as not threatened and is predicted to increase by 10% over the next three generations. The species is still highly dependent on conservation efforts, but the trends are going in the right direction. It's an acknowledgement that what everyone has been doing, so this volunteer effort as as well as other agencies, has moved the needle. For us, the fine line we walk when trying to get support is they still need help, but we can do this. At the heart of this conservation efforts progress has been the relationship between New Zealanders and the Kiwi. 
There's a quote from David Attenborough that we always uh, bludgeon or paraphrase, which is, you know, people will only look after animals that they care for or love or have aroha for in, in the Māori language, and we'll only aroha for animals that we've experienced. And uh, if we exile these animals to uh, predator-free islands or, or to zoos or behind fences, we'll lose connection with them as, as people. And so our mission really is to, is, to, is to rebuild and reweave those connections between uh, Kiwi and, 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 our, and the people of our capital city. The reasons for the decline of the Kiwi and the curlew are different. But what the campaign to save the Kiwi has demonstrated is that even when a species is facing a seemingly terminal decline, there is still hope if we can inspire action. One thing you could do is get younger people to talk to the older generation about the memories, because they're still there. When the experience of living with a creature has gone, it's extinct. But you can keep those memories alive, and that gives you something to head towards. It gives you a goal to head towards. We want to get back to when you could walk along a little country lane in a summer's evening and curlews would be calling all around you. That's what you want to get back to. But if no one remembers that, you won't get back to that again. So recapture those memories before it's too late. In 2022, 19 curly chicks fledged across the nine areas where the Curlew Conservation Programme is working, which, in theory, is enough to keep the current population stable. It's heartening to see that Curly were faring better in areas where conservation teams are working than in areas where there is no support. And there is hope from Northern Ireland too, where 80 chicks fledged across two conservation sites in Antrim and Fermanagh, adding to the approximate 200 Curly pairs across the north. But numbers are still tiny compared to what they were just a few decades ago, when there were thousands of Curly pairs calling across Ireland. I guess what the the team here and all of our teams across the country are trying to do is to keep that candle alive. Um, Basically putting our hands around that candle and trying to keep the flame alive in the hope that we can address the issues that have been facing the Curlew for so many years. Um, Because if that candle goes out and we have nothing to light again, uh, then that's it, you know, that's the lights out altogether. Unless we can make real space for the curlew and other species across our hills, fields and bogs, conservation efforts will only be a sticking plaster on a fatal wound. Maybe if we can start to weave the curlew into our stories and into our lives again, we can start to reimagine our landscapes and then we can begin to call the curlew home. This spring, I'll be watching the skies waiting and listening for the curlew's call.